text. So today we are in Nehemiah. I am thoroughly enjoying this. I, I really enjoying this passage. It's a great, great, great series. So we're in Nehemiah 7, verse 73, and chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain, certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord has commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father God, we just pray that you'd bless um, this great man who's um, quickly become our pastor. Um, and thank you for it. It's, it might be for a short time, but we thank you for him. We just pray that you'd bless this message, God. Let it be your words, um, God. Let it change our hearts to be more like you. And we thank you and ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. How's everybody doing? You're doing that good, huh? Wow. I mean, you know, it's a nice weather out there. Should we just cancel church and go out on the boat and, you know? I mean, I kind of thought about that on the way in, but Jesus wouldn't be happy with us. No, he actually would be happy with us because he loves us right where we're at. Amen. And uh, so it's uh, good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Darren. I'm a uh, uh, the interim pastor here, I have to use that title, and we'll see what God does with that and his uh, perfect timing and everything like that. So um, let me go ahead and start my clock. It's uh, good to see a few of you were out last week and a few of you are back. And come on, can you believe that July is almost done? We, we turn, uh, what, the calendar tomorrow, right? 31 days. And then we come into, what, the month of August. What does that mean? Oh, tomorrow's August 1st. See, it goes to show you where I'm at, right? What does August mean? Come on, guys. That's right. And all the ladies said, oh, okay, there we go. So I was telling Matt this morning, you know, when we uh, turn that calendar and we get into the month of August, for the next seven months straight, there will be football on a television in my house. I guarantee you that on Saturday and Sunday, because uh, I'm one of those guys who likes both college and pro. So, um, you know, being in the South for 25 years and marrying into a Georgia Bulldog family, I became a big Georgia Bulldog fan. And uh, my brother, who grew up here, and he said, you know, that's cute. He said real football is played on Sunday, and, you know, that's fine and everything. So, um, But it's, it's that time of year where everybody's excited, right, as far as the football teams. Even my son, who is not here today, who's sick, but he is a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and even he is excited about the football season because they're pretty bad. So, um, And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a New England fan slash... Uh, Jacksonville Jaguar fan, and, um, you know, it was interesting watching training camp this week, and I saw your boy, uh, Rogers, walking in with his uh, Nicolas Cage impression, right? Yes, the white uh, tank top shirt and the long hair and everything like that, and so, well, we're not here to talk about football, amen? 
Come on. And all the people say amen. I got in trouble last week when I started out with the fly zapper, so I'm going to move on from that. So that's a story for a different time. But everybody good? Go ahead with me and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, today I want to talk to you about something uh, that's interesting and something that we all kind of struggle with, and that is the word obedience. Everybody say the word obedience. 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 And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny um, in my house, so we have a little bit of a joke there with my boys. And uh, when we ask them to do something, we're not looking for delayed obedience. Amen? Because... Delayed obedience is really what? Disobedience. What are we looking for, Chase? Instant. Say it louder. Instant (laughs) obedience. Because God will bless you and then your parents will bless you too. But before I got in the mess, I want to kind of, I thought it would be fun to a little bit to kind of reminisce and think back to our childhood and uh, when we were growing up. And uh, I want to get a little bit of audience participation so think back to when you were a kid growing up, right? And um, you can just kind of shout out here in a second. I'm going to ask you a question, but think about what were some of the rules that either your parents or your mom and dad set before you, and it was something that you didn't quite understand. It was something that you really didn't uh, enjoy doing, and you, know, you found yourself trying to kind of get around it all the time. You really didn't want to do that. But what were some of those rules that were in place, and they actually, they didn't make any sense to you. What were some of those? Any, anybody out there? I'll start. Um, for me, it was uh, before you go out, make the bed. I didn't, I didn't understand that. Why, guys? Guys, we understand that, right? Because why? We're going to get right back in the bed that night. So why should I have to make the bed? But that was one of those rules, right? What about you? Anybody out, out there? Any rules? Any rules? Get home before the streetlights come out. Come on. Now, I, that would be great if we could get, get back to that in society today. Because I'm trying to kick my kids to go outside and get off the Xbox today. Now, they do go outside sometimes. Well, that's a good one. And what other rules? What other rules? Homework. What about it? Get your homework done before you go out and play. Yeah. Didn't make a lot of sense as a kid, right? But now as parents, what do we do? Get your homework done before you go out. What else? Any other rules out there? Oh, yeah. Do you need prayer? You want a time of healing and intercession right now? Because I can tell there's a little bit of angst to that right there. But thank you for sharing that. And I, I agree with you 100%. That's good. What else? What else? Any other rules as a kid that you had to obey that didn't make sense? There. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to ask him that, but you called him out on that, Tracy. Yeah. No parties at the house while mom and dad are gone, right? Come on now. We might have had a few at my house. or I, you know, I, The statute of limitations is up on this, right? I can, I can share that. Mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry. 
But uh, any other rules? What about, uh, uh, you know, doing the dishes, uh, get the dishes done? This is, you know, pre-dishwasher. We got to get the dishes done, right? We gotta, and I didn't understand it because uh, we had a, a, a dishwasher. It was one of those ones where you had to roll up and you put the hose into the sink. And I can remember my mom saying, well, I need you to take the dishes and I need you to rinse them all off there at the sink and then load them in the dishwasher. I'm thinking like, wait a minute, didn't we just buy a dishwasher that I can put them all in there? Why are we washing them once and then putting them in the dishwasher so they can get washed a second time? A little angst on that one too, so. Any others? One more, one more. Oh, okay, yeah. No talking, just chew your food and we'll, we'll, we'll get to you later, right? I don't want to hear whether you like it or not. Just chew your food. We work for this. We put this food on your plate. Yep. I mean, to go along with that, I can remember another one, too. We didn't have the no talking rule, but we did have the cleaner plate rule. You're going to eat everything on that plate. And, of course, your mom knew exactly what you didn't like and made sure she made that. Mom, I'm Irish. Meat and potatoes and give me some gravy. That's all I want. Don't give me any of that other stuff. But going to bed early, a curfew, putting your shoes away. Why? Because, you know, we're just going to wear them the next day, right? So all these rules, and we had to obey them. Instant obedience. Well, let's take it uh, to another step here. What are, what are some of the commandments or commands that are in the Bible and God's word that are a little bit difficult to obey? I know that there's many things in God's word, but what, what are some of the things that are in God's word that can be difficult to obey? And I'll start again. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Well, God, you really don't know my neighbor. You don't know crazy lady who lives across the street. And it's very tough to love her, God, but yet your word says love thy neighbor. What else? What else? Commands or anything in God's word that can be a little bit tough to obey. Anything else? Get along with family members, sure. Yeah. Forgive. That's a tough one, right? Absolutely. Hey, hey, yeah. Yeah, our wives get a lot of practice, yeah. Forgive. Love your neighbors. What about this one? Do not worry. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not cheat, thou shalt not steal. Pray for your leaders that you may live a peaceable life. Things that there's commands in there. That we, if we obey these things, we're going to receive the blessing of God. But yet they can be a little bit difficult. Obedience is a tough thing. And so this morning, uh, just there are things in God's word in the Bible that are just as hard like our parents asked us to do. And I want to talk to us about the power of obedience. Now, first of all, I, I, I want to preface this that I am not saying that you need to strive per, for perfection, amen? This sometimes can get a little bit, you know, like, oh, you know, I've got to be perfect and everything. No, we serve a perfect Savior. We still have a sin nature. We've crucified that. We crucify our flesh daily, okay? But we do not have to strive for perfection. We have one perfect Savior, amen? But what I am saying is that when we accept the authority of God's word as absolute truth 
and we strive as best that we can through the power of his Holy Spirit to live by it, it will radically change your life. It will radically change your life, not just reading God's word, but obeying God's word and doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the message here in Nehemiah chapter 8, where God's people for the past 70 years, we've seen they've been separated from the city of God in Jerusalem, and they're returning back to God, and that's where we pick up here. And again, uh, just for emphasis here, Nehemiah 7, 73, 8, 1 through 2 says this. It says, The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their own towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which, was, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So there was probably some young kids there, people that could understand and so they were all out there. So here's where we're, we're at a time now in history where Nehemiah has accomplished half of what he set out to do. He set out to rebuild the wall, but really there was a whole nother half to what his mission was. And his mission was not to just protect the city there and protect them from their enemies and everything. It was now to go in and to rebuild the people and help restore them to a right relationship with God, because for the past 70 years, they had been living away from God. God had warned them, warned them, warned them, and then they were exiled, and that's another message for another time. But um, So Nehemiah was there, and he was now working on getting them back in right relationship with God. And in Nehemiah's time, when the walls went up, people around started to notice. When the walls went up, they started to notice that these people are a city again. These people are people again. They're a nation again. And here's what they notice. And then that God is with them. Because we talked about this. We don't have to rehash it a whole bunch. But that construction project was done in 52 days. And that had to be where God was with somebody. It was a miracle of God. So let's look at what's unique to this chapter here. And the first thing we want to do is understand uh, some of the context. A little bit of context here. And it talks about this. Nehemiah finishes the wall. By the seventh month, the month of celebration, okay? And for the nation of Israel, this was really like their new year, okay? We celebrate New Year on January 1st, right? You get all excited about it. Well, this was their month that they would pray and worship and celebrate. And they hadn't done this for about 70 years. But yet now they come into the month. And just so you know, uh, many Bible scholars have written and predicted And we don't know the exact time when Jesus is coming back, but many of them said that Jesus will come back during the month of celebration. And that kind of lines up with our month of September when you look at the Hebrew calendar. I can't get into all that. That's for a Bible study for another time. But this was their month of celebration. And so the wall's completed. They're going into the month of celebration. We see a couple other key uh, days in here. The first day is the Feast of Trumpets. And what is the Feast of Trumpets? It's really a day of worship and celebration and celebrating God's goodness and provision. Just like our New Year's, people are lighting off fireworks. You know, They probably weren't doing that back then, but kind of giving you some context. They were celebrating a new year, and they were all doing it with God's word. And it wasn't just a feast of food, but it was a feasting on God's word because they had been away from the public proclamation of God's word for so long. And then we see 
Another day in the month there, another special day was the 10th day, which is the Day of Atonement, the day that uh, they were one with God. They were atoned. Their sins were atoned in, in the, their sacrificial system, right? The priest would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies, into the temple, and he would make atonement by sacrificial sacrifices, and the people would be right with God, and the priests would do it again the next year, the high priest, and, and that was kind of their day of atonement. But we know now in the New Testament and New Covenant that we live in, Jesus did that once and for all. But this is what they were doing there. So there was the Feast of Trumpets. There was the Day of Atonement. And then another feast there on the 15th day is the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what is that? That's a seven-day event outside of their home where they gathered wood and sticks and they built huts and ate outside. They cooked their food outside. They ate outside. They fellowshiped outside. And what that represented was... That was the 40 years of wilderness when they were in the wilderness. And God was with them. And this was a remembrance that when God was with them, what happened? Their shoes never wore out. God provided food for them every single day. God was with them. And, and, and we see this. And so they went through that seven days. They had a celebration, a feast. It was going on. And then on the eighth day, it says that they had a solemn assembly, a day of fasting, prayer, repentance, and worship. And this is what these people are doing for the first time in over 70 years as they are hearing God's word proclaimed. Now think about this for just a second. What if we had a month of celebration where we really got back to God's word? And obviously we wouldn't do all these exact same things here. They're a type and shadow, right? We would look at these things, but they were so excited to be back in a place where they could hear God's word publicly proclaimed. And so there's three things that I want us to understand about obeying God's word when that happens. When you hear and receive and accept and live out God's word, number one, the first thing is this, is that you begin to recognize the authority of God's word in your life, that you recognize the authority of God's word in your life. You know, people pay thousands upon thousands of dollars for financial planning. And that's good in itself, right? We need good, you know, financial planning and stuff like that. But here, the foundation, the beginning of all financial planning is right here in God's word. The foundation, the beginning of how we're to live our life and how we're to lead our families. And, and we talked last week about leadership and everything and that we're servants that lead, right? The foundation of all that is here in God's word. It's how we build and grow our lives in our families, recognizing the authority of God's word. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 6. It says, all the people assembled as one man before, uh, in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses. So he was probably, uh, they were probably sharing through the book of Deuteronomy, the first five books of the law, okay? They were probably sharing some things from there. And it says, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made of the men and women, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. I want you to just think about that for just a second, right? Daybreak till noon. So about 6 a.m. till noontime, a six-hour sermon right there. What if I said today we're going for six hours? How many of you would all be with me? Two or three of you, I see a few were, right? Okay, 35 minutes. I got my time clock up here. It's going to zap me if not. But they were reading the word, and, and, and Ezra was reading it, and he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before 
the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who can understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. So they lifted up God's word high. Okay? It's not for the person. Don't get that mistaken. It was because they wanted God's word. Live. This is God's word, and it's going to be up high and lifted up. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is just incredible what's happening here in the nation of Israel. It was like they were hearing the word of God for the first time in the past 70 years. And, and, and they praised that, and, and, they, and there was reverence and honor there. And three things real quick about this. The people asked to hear from God's word. They were hungry for God's word. They weren't just hungry for food, but they were hungry to feast in on God's word. And it was like food for their starving souls. The Feast of Trumpets began the new year with feasting on God's word. Not just the food, but feasting on God's word. The second thing is Ezra read from the scroll for about six hours and the people listened. And like I said, it was probably from the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, And then Ezra and the people, they stood in reverence of God's word and they bowed down and they had a renewed hunger to return back to God's word. They reverenced this word so incredibly. They're like, listen, they can take away this, that, and the other thing, but we want to hear your word, God. Because we know, God, that your word is absolute truth. And there is absolute truth in this world, and it all comes from God's word, amen? No matter what the world is cramming down our throats every single day and every single week, God's word is the standard. No, we don't rebuke people in the name of Jesus to be mean and harsh, but there is truth, and it's God's word. Key truth is this, is that when we accept God's word is truth. Reverence happens in our life. Reverence happens in our life for God's word. Because here's the fact of the matter. The more time you spend in God's word, the more you begin to understand who he really is. The more you understand when somebody out there tries to have an argument, we don't have an argument, we bless them in the name of Jesus, right? But when somebody says, well, God is just love. And I say, yes, God is love, but God is also 100% just God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And there is God's sacrificial system, his son Jesus, who can take away your sin for you. That's understanding God's word. When we have a whole perspective of his word. I didn't write it. If you're mad at it, argue with him, not me. But I've got to believe it, I've got to receive it, and I've got to act out on it. And it's the same thing in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 says this, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as what? Not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. God's word is at work in you, amen? God's word is at work in you. The second truth here, this morning, not don't, not only do we recognize the authority of God's word, but we respond with repentance to God's conviction. So we get into God's word, we recognize his word as the standard, the authority, but then we get into his word and then we respond with repentance. 
because the Holy Spirit will bring conviction when we read his word. Amen. And it says this here in Nehemiah 8, 7 through 9. It says the Levites instructed the law, the people in the law, while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord for your God, your God. Do not mourn or weep. You can see there is deep conviction coming in. And conviction is good. But they're saying, let's celebrate for all the people I've been weeping as they listen to the words of the law. Ezra was preaching out loud. Now, let me kind of give a little bit more context. Ezra wasn't preaching six hours straight. Ezra would preach. He would take a little break. And we see the priests, the Levites, and the scribes, they were kind of like the small group leaders. And they would go in, and they would spend time, and they would instruct and teach people in a small group setting. Number one, the Levites were in the crowd of people to help teach them. And this is really an Old Testament example of a large group preaching and then a small group Bible study. So you can get into that word deeper, so you can ask your questions, so you can be instructed. Because in 35 minutes, give or take, whatever that fleshes out to be, I can't get into everything so deep. What I can do is I can set the table for you, but you've got to be able to take this word in and drink it in deeper. And you can do that in your own time, but you can also do it in Bible study times. And we'll talk more about that. We mentioned a few of the women's Bible studies and my prayer is, and talking with Jamie, we, we're praying for a men's Bible study here soon. And God's going to lead us in that because we're going to honor God with that so we can get into his word a little bit deeper as men and continue to dive in. But Ezra read from the scroll for six hours and the people listened. And like I said, it was kind of, uh, you know, from the book of Deuteronomy. And, and, and Ezra and the people, they all stood in reverence to God's word and they bowed down and it was a renewed hunger and they returned back to God's word. And so a couple more things here is we mentioned that the Levites were in the crowd and they were there to help them teach. And then the second thing is they made it clear what God's word said and what it meant. Because, see, what you need to understand is the Hebrew language had changed so much in the past 70 years, so they were explaining clearly to the people. How many times have you been in a sermon? Hopefully not right now, but you can raise your hand. And they're preaching up there, and it's just like, what in the world did they say? What do they even mean? Come on, I, I know where you're talking. You know what I'm saying? I understand where you're coming from. But that's why we take notes, and we get in that, and we say, okay, I, I need to dig in there more. And then we can ask those questions in our small groups, in our Bible study. But they made clear what the word meant. And then the third thing is this, is hearing and understanding God's word was overwhelming to the people. They were hearing a truth as if it was for the very first time. I don't know about you, but how many times have you been ever overwhelmed by reading God's word? I mean, you know, you can read the same thing like the Gospels and, and you can read it and read it and read it. And then all of a sudden, sometime you're just sitting there in your quiet time and, 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 and the words, it, it just seems to jump off the page at you. And all of a sudden, God is speaking to you through his Holy Spirit and he's bringing a deeper meaning and a conviction and you start to get overwhelmed by that. And it's just like, okay. And see what God is doing through his Holy Spirit. He's confirming in you that now you're ready. Now you've grown in maturity to respond to this part of the word. And now I want you to step out in faith and trust me and obey that you will respond to this part of the word. 
man, it's just so overwhelming. And it's not a matter of how much are you reading in and everything. Sometimes it could be just one or two verses. And then, bam, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he stops you right there, and you get overwhelmed by God's word because God's word is truth. God's word is living. God's word is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Key truth is this, is that when we apply God's word to our lives, we start to live a life of repentance. Repentance. How far have we wandered from God's word, his standard? And repentance isn't a bad word, and I know that there's a lot of weird things out there. Repent, repent, turn or burn, everything. Listen, it's not that, but it's the gentle conviction of God's Holy Spirit. He's saying, repent. In other words, you've been doing it this way, and you think you're all that in a bag of chips too, and you know what you're talking about, but I'm telling you, do it my way. Repent, turn back to me. It's a 180. And then there's an overwhelming feeling of that, that God is doing something in my life. And I can respond to him. Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, For the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. I would say this. I think our country needs more of God's word today. Amen. Not to be mean, not to be legalistic, but to be life-giving. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves us. He gave us the Holy Spirit and he gave us his word so we can live like the children of Israel were supposed to live in God's victory, in God's blessings. And there's things that we have to work out in our life, but it comes through God's word. So not only do we recognize the authority of God's word, do we respond with repentance to God's conviction? But the third thing is this, is that we rejoice and the freedom that comes through forgiveness and faith. There's rejoicing in the freedom that comes through the forgiveness and faith. When I hear God's word and the Holy Spirit convicts me and I repent and then all of a sudden I take care of it and I obey and I do what God has told me to do, there's freedom that's lifted off. It's like this weight has been lifted off and I can rejoice and walk in God's forgiveness and walk in God's faith. And many times it's between myself and him. But sometimes he's led me to, hey, I need you to go and, 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 and apologize to that other person. Forgive that other person. No, they may not deserve it. No, they're not going to earn it. But all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, you know, we go through the argument back and forth. Really, should I? What? Are you sure you're talking to me about it? And finally, we obey, right? And then we move forward, and then we do it. We've got a little bit of like, kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go. And man, what a blessing comes in when we do that. I've seen it happen over and over again. If you're married in here today, all you got to do is look to the right or your left and your wife or a or husband, right? We can practice forgiveness every single day. It's so much that now when I wake up, I just look over at Katie and I say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me before I even get out of bed? Because I know I'm going to mess up somewhere. I'm sorry, will you forgive me in Jesus' name, amen. And of course she says, yes, I will. In a little southern accent. Nehemiah 8, 13 through 18. On the second day of the month, the head of all the families. So now we, we, we see that uh, some of the moms and some of the kids go home, but it says the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, and the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month that they should proclaim this word 
and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. So the people went out and brought back branches and built for themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square of the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was a solemn assembly. So we see here in this passage of Scripture, we see the importance of teaching leaders. On the second day, the family leaders stayed to get further teaching so they could take it. The head of household stayed to get further teaching so they could bring it back to their home and instruct in their homes. When we come to church, we get this right here, and then we get further teaching through our small groups, through our, through our ministry areas, right? And we bring that instruction and teaching to our homes. It doesn't just stop here on a Sunday for an hour and 15 minutes. We've got to take that with us back to our houses. And the second thing is that when they were in the Word, they really discovered their disobedience to all of God's Word, and they made it right and here's this. I want you to hear me real quick with this. They jumped all over the opportunity to get right with God. They didn't say, you know what, maybe next week, next month, next year, maybe if I get this thing right in my life, maybe if this thing lines up, maybe if this person... No, they got right with God right then and there because their souls were starved for that fellowship that can only come when you're in a right relationship with God. And so they got right with God. They saw their disobedience and they submit, I want to be in obedience. And then the third thing is this, is that we see that they celebrated in the huts and shared as others had need and they heard God's word. What a great celebration they had. Returning to God's word, remembering who God is and how much he loved them. That is a picture right there of true spiritual and biblical community. Amen. Man, God was with them. There was joy. There was joy in the house of the Lord, so to speak, right? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there was joy. They were getting in God's words. They were having a feast and they were sharing with one another. And we see true biblical community happening. And it says their joy was not just great. It was very great. And then the key truth is this, is that when we acknowledge God's word and all we do, and all we do, revival happens. Revival happens in our lives, in our families, in our churches. What is revival? It's just another word for renewal. There's a renewal going on. There's a renewness of joy. There's a newness of forgiveness of faith. And you know what? I, I see that, God, you love me right where I'm at, and I'm just going to continue to walk one foot in front of the other. I'm going to continue to walk in your presence and your power and your peace and your protection. And I might not have it all right there, but I'm just going to keep moving forward. One day at a time, one scripture at a time, one prayer at a time, on a daily basis. And God only... The peace that surpasses all understanding can come from you. Friend, if you're struggling with peace in your life, I would encourage you. I would highly encourage you to turn back to God's word today. This is not condemnation. This is conviction. Our country needs to turn back to this right here. This is what our country was set upon. This works when we work it. 
But when we just kind of say, oh, that's real cute, and I've got one, and it sits on my coffee table, and oh, yeah, oh, we, 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 we love the Bible, we love Jesus, but we're not in the Word and under the Word, and, and we're letting the Word be over us, and we're, we're in it. God's not going to do a whole lot of work in our lives. Yes, He's sovereign, but we've got to get in the Word for ourselves. We've got to recognize His authority. 1 Peter 1, verse 23 says this, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. Man, our salvation is secure in Christ. You are born again, and you cannot be unborn again, amen? You can reject your salvation. That's a whole other sermon in itself, apostasy. But if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, you've given your life over to him, and you are born again, you cannot be unborn in the spirit, amen? God is not going to take that back from you. But in summary, the three things we, we see is that, number one is that we have a foundation for truth. This is our foundation for truth when we recognize the authority of God's word. Nehemiah understood it. The people of Israel understood it. And they understood if they were going to be a nation that was blessed by God, they were going to have to do God's will and God's word, God's way. Our foundation of truth. And the second thing, of course, is we have a conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. We have a conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, you work that out and there's peace in your life. Ten people can tell you you're doing the wrong thing. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And it's not going to change anything. But when you get into God's word and you recognize this, his authority and his standard and the Holy Spirit brings conviction and you repent, God brings conviction and there is newness. And the third thing is this, is that when we do it this way, we have a daily ongoing spiritual renewal. A daily ongoing spiritual renewal. Your joy can be every single day. I understand there's going to be circumstances. I understand things happen in this world. This life is tough, amen? We weren't promised all, you know, where everything's going to work out perfectly. But we know the one who can help us get through it perfectly with his peace. And then the closing truth is this, is that we all need times, every single one of us in here, we need times of recognition, repentance, in revival. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, one of the powerful scriptures, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Revival. Billy Sunday, the famous evangelistic preacher of revivals who preached revivals all over. And, and the people would ask him, why are you preaching these revivals? Do we really need these revivals? Do they really last? You know, what's so good about, do, do these revivals really last? And Billy Sunday, he said this, he says, no. He says, they don't really last. He said, but neither do baths. And yet it's important that we take them every day. And it's the same thing about God's word. Friends, we need revival in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our country. We've got to lead by example, what we talked about last week, of getting into God's word and live in obedience to it through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and it will radically change your life. If you have not experienced a radically changed life, I would encourage you today to get in God's word. Let his word bring that conviction. Obey it. Walk it out in your life and see what God does. Just like the children of Israel, the people of Nehemiah, they understood, hey, the wall's great. Everything looks great on the outside. And sometimes we do that, right? Everything looks great on the outside, especially churches. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm blessed and highly favored. Yep, everything's great. And yet we're falling apart on the inside. God knows where you're at. You don't have to put on a face or a front with God. You can be as real and as vulnerable as you want with God. And God will work that out in your life when we allow his authority and his word to come in and bring repentance and conviction. And we obey that. Just like these people, we can walk in victory and his word will radically change our lives. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness and your loving joy in our lives, Father. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you tell us that whom the Son has set free is free indeed, and we are free in the name of Jesus in this place, God. We don't have to measure up to anything, God, other than your perfect standard, and the way we do that is through your grace that only comes through Jesus Christ. So right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for you. Some of you in here, you might say, you know what, that's me. That's exactly where I'm at. I've started a relationship with God, but I've kind of been away from him. And I know I need to get back in right relationship with him. God is offering that to you right now, right where you're seated in the quiet stillness of your heart. Just turn to him. Just give your life back over to him. Maybe you've never done that for the very first time and you want to do that today. And you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. You can surrender your life to God today. It's real simple. You just pray a prayer. It's not the the words, but it's the heart. And God connects with you. And it's just a simple thing. God, I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. I receive your free gift of grace. God, from this day forward, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want to get in your word, God. And God, when I miss a day, because it will happen, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction and help me to get back in it and meet me right where I'm at, God. I thank you, Lord, that you don't bring condemnation and shame, but you bring conviction. And when you bring conviction, God, we can have victory because we turn to you, God. And you want to continue to see us walk in that victory, God. We don't have to fight for victory, God. We fight from victory. And so we surrender these things to you, Lord. Help us to be like these people, Lord that celebrated and had a feast. And it was not all about feeding the outside, but it was about feeding their inside, their soul. So God, I pray that you would go before us, do what you want to do in our lives. We just humbly surrender to you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.